because they make us feel ashamed, afraid, vulnerable, or just really uncomfortable. My topic for tonight's show is pornography, and I have it is part of our ongoing series on male sexuality. I have two guests with me here in the studio. The first guest is Daryl Fort, who is a sexual assault and domestic violence prevention educator. Daryl travels all over the world offering training in sexual assault prevention. He just returned from Iraq where he was working with servicemen and women on sexual assault prevention. Welcome to Safe Space, Daryl. Thank you. Glad to have you. And my second guest is Gina Rourke. Gina is the owner and founder of Nomia Boutique here in Portland, which is a sensuality boutique and a resource center. She is she works primarily and sees herself as a sexuality educator, and she has an academic background in U.S. cultural history and critical theory. Welcome to Safe Space, Gina. Thank you. Really glad to have you both here. So I want to start out by defining our terms. I want to start with you, Gina. What, how would you, what is pornography? What are we actually talking about tonight? In the simplest terms, um, especially when I'm working with college students, I keep it uh, very basic. And the way I like to describe porn is we're talking about a visual medium. It can be print or DVDs um, representing various forms of sexual behavior. Ultimately, above all else, it is a sex toy. And I always like to stress it is not an instructional aid. Um, And that's because frequently in the absence of comprehensive adult sexuality education, it is treated as, it sort of fills that vacuum as functioning, sort of like a form of sex education, uh, which is deeply unfortunate. And tell me why. Why is that deeply unfortunate? Um, And I think that's going to be the topic of most of our conversation (laughs) Indeed, That leads us right into where we're going. What is unfortunate about having pornography be a how-to manual? Um, I think, especially if we're talking specifically about mainstream pornography, um, well, although the industry is changing, it is incredibly diverse. I always like to emphasize that, but the broad generalization would be that it is primarily conceived of for the male consumer. Um, and if you were to do what you see in porn, um, you would most likely catch an STI. And just to define our terms again, that's sexually, sexually transmitted, transmitted infection. infection. And, um... If you were a female, based on what you look at, what you're seeing in terms of like female physiology of pleasure and arousal, uh, most likely you would not achieve an orgasm um, because it certainly privileges certain kinds of practices where it focuses on women sort of servicing a male desire. Um, that's sort of the yeah. So let me turn now to Daryl and say, does this fit your definition of pornography? And, and uh, would you agree with that? Um, it could. It could fit um, a definition of pornography. I, I would think of, of porn as occupying all kinds of media. Mm. Um, so print media, uh, pictures. Um, I think you talked about pictures, mm-hmm. um, film, TV. Um, internet, I think surely. Internet, oh. without a doubt. Um, I think um, there is a, um economy of ideas as it relates to porn. So um, I think... Maybe not um, in a technical sense, but some people would agree that there's a porn way of talking, sort of communicating uh, with well, one what another. Do you, tell me what you mean by that. Tell me what I mean. Well, I think what I mean is, so think about the term locker room talk. So there's right. a lot of things that can go on in a locker room, the things that get discussed in a locker room. Um, that's certainly part of um, the work I do is trying to sort of break down uh, you know, how do, as men particularly, how do we communicate with each other about things like sexuality and porn is included? Um, and I think there's a way, you know, a, a rhythm about um, how we communicate um, as men about that stuff that 
uh, it's pretty distinct. Probably a little too distinct to get very specific here on this show, but distinct nonetheless. And yet, it's interesting because where, where my mind is going listening to you is the distinction between talk that is meant to be provocative and sort of slightly flirtatious or just playful and talk that is somehow degrading. And I mean, that's already captures the attitude, the split, I think, in attitudes about pornography. Is pornographic talk talk that is disrespectful or is it talk that is like playful and enjoy you know really just enjoying sexuality i don't think it's either or you're right so that's what i'm trying to get at tell me how well i think about that again i think there's a you know there's a language in relating to some of what gina has already talked about the soul that there are ideas present in a lot of pornography Mm -hmm. that we see and there are ideas specifically about um, who we are as men and women and the way that we should relate to each other as men and women. Mm-hmm. And so those ideas both extend back into the culture and come from the culture as well. And so those ideas are communicated, as I said, you know, in, in a certain type of language uh, okay. between men and between women. So I want to talk about those. I- yeah. Yeah. yeah, I want to talk about those ideas now. So, so on the surface, you know, pornography is about... Uh, it's an access route to pleasure. It's an access route to arousal. That's that, that's what on the surface. It's a yeah, sex toy, but, as right. you're saying. Yeah, and that's but that's kind of where it ends. That's the simplest, the most simplistic way of putting. it. I mean, I think you know I would agree complete with Daryl because porn is as such a huge medium um, and force uh, within the culture at large. It both is of the culture, it reflects the culture, and is in dialogue. Um, so as it is expressing. We can't talk about sexual attitudes, behaviors, and beliefs without talking about sort of cultural representations, and so that can serve as a real touchstone. So when people are sort of talking about pornography, that's where it becomes. That's where you end up with both a lot of possibility as well as a lot of difficulty. Um, right. So to make it really concrete, when we're talking about these ideas that are, you know, uh, that underlie, what? Give me some examples. What kind of ideas are we talking about? Can you have a, a perfect example of back? Um, not too long ago, when I was in college, um, amongst guys, and I did, I was in a locker room, um, talking about certain women and what certain women would do um, sexually. And sometimes those women were described as they did this like a porn star, or they did that like a porn star, um, or the way in which we would talk about certain body parts um, being... Um, distinct, so um, distinct it, from the person, the whole person. You mean like, do you, is yeah? That what you well, mean? L- let me give you an example. So we can talk on this show about um, penises. We can talk about vaginas. We can talk about you know parts in a in a more uh, well. Some people might consider a thoughtful, um, respectful, analytical way. Or we can talk about it in another way. Um, and it's those types. We're talking about that other way is what we're referring to right. without so doing we're, it. <laughs> well, we're talking about those, you know, those other ways. And I think, um, again, from a gendered perspective, uh, men and women both in the culture kind of have this expectation about how men are going to do it versus about how women are going to have that conversation, right? And it's stereotypical, but those stereotypes and expectations get played out over and over again, mm-hmm. and I think that the, the language that we're talking about that's transferred into a lot of mainstream pornography um, translates those things very 
distinctly. So there's a there's a power dynamic. It's about what men are doing to women, for the most part, in a lot of mainstream of pornography. It's about, um, as Gina said, how um, women will service men. People talk about how women in the pornographic industry make um, the on-screen talent, if you will, makes the majority of the money that on-screen talent will make. Um, but that only tells a very limited story about where the money goes. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know. Right. It wh- isn't going to the performers. Right. Finally. It's going to the guy who owns the company that sells the magazines or whatever. Presumably. Yeah. There's so many other people that are involved in the, in the production of but certainly the, uh, uh, the publishing um, and the distribution um, is where most of that cash is going to. Right. right. I think that's pretty much understood. Right. And I mean, it brings up the question. I know that some feminists who have a concern about pornography are concerned about how the women performers are treated in the industry. And I really know very little about that. But what is your sense of that, Gina? Do you do you have a sense that the women performers, if they are being more highly paid, are they being treated well as far in general? Is that a, is that too big a statement to make? I think that's a huge statement. I mean, it's it's a massive industry, and there are a slew of companies that operate at different standards. Um, so I know that some of that sort of higher-end companies like Wicked or Vivid, um, and we could sort of list a few, are where you've got performers who are really going to do quite well at negotiating and setting terms of their contracts. And I know that a lot of female performers have become very, very savvy. Witness Jenna Jameson, who is an industry into you know unto herself at this point. Um, but that's one side of the industry. Um, there's also a whole other side of the industry where some of the, st- you know, some of the stories that one would hear of women sort of negotiating and thinking they're going to show up on set and do one thing, they get on set and maybe something else and other kinds of pressures are put into play. There's also the question of standards around safe sex um, within the industry at large. Um, I think one of the concerns that I have above all else um, is the question of worker safety. Um, and I know that I've said this frequently, I will say it again, I I look forward to the day when there would be a Screen Actors Guild for the porn industry. Um, I do not know that that would be happening anytime soon. So, for instance, if when you're negotiating a contract, can you negotiate that your partner would, you know, be HIV tested or hepatitis tested? Are those standard? Do you want to... There is, within some of the industry, like... The adult, God, I'm supposed to say, adult industry medical care foundation is that the full name? AIM is the name of it, and they provide testing services for performers. Um, and frequently, there's a, th- I believe it's a 30 day cycle that a performer has to go through testing and show up um, and have their papers ready before they go on set. There's also those who can have po- have enough power within the industry to demand condom only. Um, so for some women, that is their concern. Um, I, rem- I mean, there was a whole time right. when latex was trying to be sensualized, right? The, the, the eroticization of, of yeah, latex. Yeah. And this is also different in terms of, like, what's going on within sort of mainstream porn as well as what goes on within gay porn. I mean, it sort of varies across different areas. And I know one performer in particular, Belladonna, has been able to sort of set terms, but she's at the top of her game where she requires uh, two- or three-day testing um, with right. anybody that she works with. Yeah, so she, because she has more power, she can dictate She's terms. able to do that. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann, and I'm talking to Daryl Fort and Gina Rourke about pornography. And I want to turn to you now, Daryl. You know, I know that you are a sexual assault and domestic violence prevention educator. And clearly one of the big critiques of pornography is that it, it's, it's part of the objectification of women and therefore on a spectrum with treating women like things, um, which is, you know, one step toward 
increased risk for violence. I'm curious, do we know anything about this concretely? Do we know if pornography increases the risk for sexual violence against women? You know, there there have been for years now studies that some people say proves that that's true, that uh, in the in the context um, porn in the context of um, sexual violence in the culture plays um, a significant role and that's been proven. You've got people that say that, well, no, that hasn't been proven. Um, I, rather than get into those types of debates about um, what the studies might say um, directly about that stuff, I tend to or prefer to sort of ask some questions um, just general questions about uh, media and representations. And again, getting back to talking a lot with guys about, so, you know, what's going on with us when we're looking at this stuff or when we're thinking about um, our relationship to women for heterosexual guys um, anyway. And, um, you know, among them, you know, just has to do with as men, how do we, where do sort of women stand on the, on the pecking order? sort of as as um, equals or not. And, you know, a very sort of basic standard sort of test for that involves an exercise, and I won't go through the exercise, but essentially ends like this. The biggest insult you can hurl at a man, whether you're a man, another man or a woman, is to call him a girl or a woman or refer to him as a girl or a woman part. Um, and so, you know, that poses a basic question. So, so if the worst thing for us to be is a girl or girl-like, what does that say about what we think about women? About the value of women. About the value of women. And so, again, without getting too extended about it, I mean, that leads to another question as it relates to the images that a lot of men produce of women in the media, including pornography. What does that, what do those images say? Do they reinforce that idea or do they not? Um, and so to the extent that we can see those ideas being reinforced, then that begs the question, so why as guys um, would we feel like that's something that we want to consume? Is that worth asking um, a question about? And a lot of people would, would beg to differ Right, I mean, it certainly, it certainly raises a question for me. Why would an image where a woman is kind of rendered devalued in some way, there's so many ways to do it, why is that sexy? Why does that work as pornography? Right, right. And, it, and it, you know, and as I was referring to earlier, it's kind of, so is this porn reflecting the culture or is it um, teaching to the culture? And I think in this particular age of media, you know, I have a friend that talks about um, porn as the greatest uh, pedagogical force around sex education um, mm-hmm. that we have. Right, which is exactly yeah. Gina's right. point, right. That the, right. how unfortunate that is. Right. But I also think it's also a lot more complicated in terms of what the use value is. Um, when people are working with pornography or watching and viewing, I think it's more, I mean, I, so I get these sort of broad strokes and these points. At the same time, I think when it comes to I mean, the diversity of sort of sexual expression and attitudes in terms of what people bring to it, um, it can be a lot. There are some possibilities, I think, is what I would like to say. Um, I don't know. I don't, I'm going to ask little, you to be more specific because I don't I'm know. I'm a what little you're... concerned in terms of like, because I think 
when we some of the major you know sort of complaints that one would have about pornography would be I mean and this is sort of what I think of frequently is going to be that it's completely performance focused you always have the woman who is the object of the pleasure um, and obviously focusing on servicing a man um, and the sexual behaviors themselves and how they're in what's represented um, specifically what does and does not jive with actual anatomy of pleasure and so on so like What's the porn myth about how one is going to achieve an orgasm or enjoy or have fun, and what's the reality? Um, so those would mm. be the distinctions. Um, at the same time, and that, and also, like I know that when women are complaining about pornography, those are the, the two biggest issues are going to be body image, um, and sort of the idealized idea of what a, a woman is supposed to look like, um, and secondly, um, the Again, going back to the sexual behavior question, that it's like this is how sex is supposed to be. You know, they're not going to see their pleasure represented very strongly, um, and that would be a sort of like an ongoing complaint. But I, one of the things after sort of part of my job is I watch an awful lot of porn, um, and I know that that's been a complaint that I have had um, when I'm sort of going through and I'm sort of looking to see signs of arousal. Is this performer having a really good time? What's going on? And coming to understand, like, when, 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 but this is sort of, and I will cop to this as, like, being a somewhat more sophisticated viewer, is women who are engaged in the industry can be receiving pleasure in very different ways than strictly anatomy. Um, so, you know, or sort of, like, or a particular practice, if that makes sense. So women could be engaged in a scene and having an awful lot of fun strictly being exhibitionists at having nothing to do whatsoever with whether or not they're achieving sort of, like, sensation pleasure. It could be a kind of pleasure that she's going to take home with her later. Um, but it's still a form of erotic energy. I don't know if this is... I, so I'm just listening to what you're saying. So one of the things that makes um, this conversation we're having all the more problematic is there's another perspective is it, it's not like, it may sound like it through the conversation, but it's not like it couldn't be argued that there's, there is not space in the culture for types of sexual media. So in other words, right. from my perspective... You don't have to be an abolitionist as it relates to sexual media to be asking these type of questions about the way porn is by and large produced um, in the United States and around the world today. Right. right. So, so we're not well, you're not taking an anti-porn stance at all. You're just no. trying to really reflect about it. Well, I wouldn't say at all, but okay. I would. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not taking an abolitionist stance. Let's right. just clarify that. Well, yeah, but you don't. Right. You don't. I, I don't have to, and I guess to to take another angle at this conversation, you know, there are a lot of folks who uh, are do similar work um, that I do um, that would um, talk, um, uh, sort of, that have made uh, um, a career out of trying to basically eradicate porn from the culture. Um, again, without getting into whether or not you believe that particular perspective or not, um, there are plenty of, of questions to ask, um, and I think to get at some of um, the issues that I've been talking about, what we've all been talking about mm -hmm. here um, um, tonight, as people who are concerned about the level of sexualized violence and abuse in the culture, we have to be able to communicate to people in the culture, many, many of them, mostly men, but a lot of women as well, increasingly more women that are consuming this stuff. Mm. Right. So we've got to be able to, to ask questions and talk to them, not like they're, you know, bad children with their hands caught in the cookie jar or whatever other analogy you want to come up with. But be able to talk to them from the perspective of, you know, look, 
th- this isn't about being the sex police, um, but this is about trying to be adult about this stuff. And if we're really truthful, let's talk as men or let's talk as women about how um, the current perspectives and expectations are working out for us. Right? Is guys it really working out for us if most of us or many men are feeling uh, you know, inadequate in one way or another about our own sexual performance and it's so performance based and competitive? Mm-hmm. Is it really working out for us as women who are constantly sort of barraged with these images of um your bodies and the way that you um perform? that um, most, the vast majority of women can't live up to and wouldn't necessarily want to? Does it really work out for us in general? And if not, (laughs) then why are we um, continuing to consume these images and these ideas that are sort of perpetuating these uh, uh, attitudes I I find your comment really interesting, Daryl, because, frankly, I don't hear very much about how porn may not be in the best interest of men purely for their own sake. But your your point that it can reinforce a performance pressure uh, seems really worth highlighting. And, um, you know, do you... It's sort of hidden in in plain sight. I mean, think about how often it gets talked about, right? It's not like um, it doesn't get discussed. And men and women all in the culture don't know about this whole idea about men, you know, size um, and stamina and... You know, th- those types of things. And it's not instant. like that's not out in the open. True. True, but, you know, I, you know, <laughs> in the circles I travel in, that criticism of, you know, a downside of porn has not, is not right up there <laughs> as one of the top of the list. I do want to shift gears for a moment. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann. Talking to Gina Rourke and Daryl Ford about pornography, and Gina's looking perplexed. very re- perplexed. Like she has something she wants well, to no, say. Well, no, I'm actually sort of, I'm interested in that idea of um, porn being negative for men in terms of it reinforcing a performance anxiety because one of the things that I was, um, I know that Bader, Michael Bader talks about is that the appeal of porn for men um, frequently is about the fact that what they're seeing when they see a female performer is someone who takes desire and service. It's not so much about dominance as it is a sort of like, you know, ignoring female sexual pleasure, but actually he sort of flips the tables and says, no, there, there's a love of seeing a female who is enjoying love sex. They appear to be happy. And so what that does for the male is that it absolves him of that sense of responsibility and that pressure. Um, so it creates kind of that safe zone so he can then, there go, enjoy some erotic pleasure because of his pressure for precisely that, you know, of the need to perform, to be the producer, his, you know, constant concern about, and also I think a concern about women who may not necessarily, and this is sort of an issue that I work with a lot, who may have a hard time um, taking responsibility and articulating their own desire and right to pleasure. Um, so, I mean, that's sort of, he was sort of making that point that both men and women, generally speaking, don't necessarily what's, you know, understand what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think there are any um, necessarily any easy answers to a lot of this. I, I just think there are potentially a lot of questions that we don't necessarily ask of ourselves. And I think um, you, the, the point that you raise about Dr. Bader's work is a perfect example. Um, it's a way of looking at these questions or these issues more um, sort of holistically, right? Um, by the same token, um, again, I'm just working with men, um, particularly young men, um, all over the country, and as you said, around the world, um, there is a way 
that we communicate with each other and set expectations for one another around sex and sexuality and our relationship to women. And that is very real as well. Um, and so the idea that uh, uh, men view a lot of porn from the perspective of this woman looks like she's enjoying this may be part of the deal, but certainly another part of the narrative that often gets played out in mainstream porn is around domination and humiliation. And in fact, there are whole genres that that's what it's about, but then there's a lot of mainstream. I think if you look, oh, you, have, and you just have to peruse the titles, right, to be and, honest, and without, you don't have to get too deeply into that. Dr. Bader, who was my guest on the show last week, his perspective was that humiliation of another person was not actually necessarily arousing in itself, but it may be a way that the person was um, feeling more in control because they were humiliated themselves, a way of sort of turning the tables mm -hmm. and feeling in control and that... Um, very, very true, and it's mm -hmm. and it is a, mm -hmm. and it's a psychological mm -hmm. um, crutch, if you will, of a lot of men who are abusers. That's exactly the point. And so, you know, while that can be true in a you know relatively a, a benign way, if you will, I, we just it's know still for not a fact. Okay. <laughs> we, well, I'm not saying that it's whether it's okay because for some men it is okay, but to but sort of to take that and ignore the fact um, and the understanding that you know that's just a that's the way a lot of abusers think. That's just what we, we know, right, that sort of turning a sense of inadequacy um, and, and subjugation and feeling small and feeling um, inconsequential, we, turning that around when you get home on the person or the woman that's at home is, is standard operating procedure for abusers that you know we can't sort of ignore that side of it as well and seeing that represented over and over again and i think there's a, a key point about this and it gets back to this whole idea is well does this conversation mean that there's no space for sexual media um a, a, another a friend a colleague uh, sut jolly that does a lot of media education films and many of his films talks about um a, a dearth of perspective. A lot of people talk about there's too much sex in the media. They'll talk about there's not, a not, not enough. Not wide enough, enough of a range. Exactly. Uh -huh. Not uh -huh. enough of a range of right. perspective. So if the range of perspectives included um, women as sort of old people with more agency, um, considered them as, uh, you know, more full human beings as opposed to body parts, then what's out there now will just be part of the mix. I mean, I think something to cons consider is um, just how ubiquitous the the singular perspective is from the from the standpoint of the male. In of some men. ways, that's a take home message that I'm getting from listening to both of you. Is wouldn't it be better if we had more pornography that was actually geared towards women's pleasure that was more of an instructional manual in an actually productive way, in, a, in a way that was much more equal, yeah. realistic. And that has been changing. Like in the last couple of years, um, I mean, there had been people independently trying to produce things, um, but especially in the last few years, there has been some stuff coming out that has been absolutely fantastic. Okay, and the place to find that, no doubt, is yes. No Me Boutique with Gina <laughs> nice. Rourke. On that note, That's we're, we're, we're going to have to wrap up. This is Dr. Ann with Gina Rourke, Daryl Fork, talking on Safe Space about pornography. If you'd like to contact me with an idea or suggestion for a future show, please do so at drannwmpg at gmail.com. My thanks tonight to Jen Hodgson, who braved the elements to come in. Thank you, Jen. 
and to Gina and Daryl. Uh, coming up next is Money Talks with Allison. Thanks. Thanks. This program is brought to you with listener donations and an underwriting grant from the Sunrise Guide, a locally owned annual guide to living green in southern Maine. The Sunrise Guide includes tips and resources along with more than 200 coupons for earth-friendly products and services. More information is at thesunriseguide.com or 221-3450. You are listening to WMPG and W281AC Gorham, Portland, Greater Portland Community Radio from the University of Southern Maine. Um, and uh, I just, you know, I'm, I'm taking a quick look at the weather here. And, um, you know, it looks like it's going to rain, like you, you probably know already. And then tomorrow, partly sunny, high near 43. So probably this stuff isn't going to freeze up. And that's good. And Friday looks um, sunny, but cold, like near freezing. So, um, but uh, but this weather is going to be over tomorrow morning. That's what they're telling me here. Um, so uh, for tonight's Money Talks, um, we are going to bring you an encore presentation of a show that